Thank you for joining us today. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to watch is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. Up to this point in this series, we've seen the establishment of Jesus' identity as the Son of God and the beginning of his earthly ministry. We've studied his teaching as he has taught through parables, sermons, and daily life with his disciples. And we've seen his miraculous power over nature, sin, sickness, and spiritual darkness. Our entire study through the Gospel of Mark thus far is available in our feed. We'd love for you to join in. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead, open up the Hope Church LV app or visit us at hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen. Well, good morning, Hope Church family. So glad you have joined us. As you take your seats, go ahead and grab your Bibles, whether it's physical or on an app. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We're going to be there in just a moment. If I hadn't got a chance to meet you, uh, my name is Scott. I would love the opportunity to meet you after our service. I'll be in the lobby if you're new. I'd love to get you connected and see how we can connect you into what God is doing here. If you're not new and you are a part of the Hope Church family, you may know that Pastor Tom and I just got back from an incredible 12-day trip around the world, literally uh, visiting some of our partners on the mission field and what God's doing around the world. And, and I, uh, I got a sermon to get to, so I can't preach on it right now, but I cannot wait to tell you and to share with you some of the things that God is doing around the world. You just gotta know, as we sit here on this Sunday morning, we are one little slice of a very, very, very big kingdom. It's a beautiful slice, it's an awesome slice, but it's just one little slice of what God is doing around the world, and you just gotta know you are, as a church family, we are a part of something pretty incredible, and I can't wait to share with you more in the weeks and months to come about what's what God's doing around the world and how we get a chance to get in on it. But today, Mark chapter 8 As we begin, I want to draw your attention to something that happened in our city last Saturday that you may have heard about, whether on the news or on a feed somewhere. It happened, uh, it affected my family. About four o'clock, my son Bryce was getting ready to go to his first arena concert at Allegiant Stadium. Him and his friend Jaden were set to go see Ed Sheeran in concert. Some of you are laughing because you know exactly what happened. My son and his friend Jaden and 65,000 other people, many of which had lined up outside of Allegiant Stadium in the wee hours in the morning trying to get the best seat when the doors opened at 5.30, but the doors never opened at 5.30. People were passing out because over 100 degrees. They've been waiting all day to see Ed Sheeran in 20 minutes. Before the concert was supposed to start, Ed Sheeran posted this on Instagram. He said, I can't believe I'm typing this, but there's been some challenges encountered during the load-in of our Vegas show. It's impossible to go forward with the show. I'm so sorry. I know everyone has traveled in for this, and I wish I could change it. 20 minutes before 65,000 people got to see Ed Sheeran, the show was canceled. Let us just say this morning, Hope Church, people were not happy. And in fact, those people are brutal on the internet. I'll let you go on Ed Sheeran's Instagram and read some of these comments because they are not safe for church. People were losing their minds. How could you, Ed? Some people are saying, I read one comment that said, I left my kids for this. It's like, I think what you mean is you gave them to a babysitter. It's a little dramatic, 
to say you left your, I mean, people were outraged. They were asking Ed Sheeran all throughout the comments, demanding an answer. But here's the thing, an answer was given. My wife called me, or I, I guess my son Bryce called me on the way home and said, hey, the show's been canceled. Immediately, I looked online and saw that an answer had been given, both from Allegiant Stadium, some news reports, some other people had said something was wrong with the stage. When you see Ed Sheeran in concert, the stage does not look like this. It is a work of art. It is a masterpiece. And something happened with the stage. It was unsafe. It literally, as he said, was impossible for the show to continue. An answer is given. Here's what I want us to see. But that didn't really satisfy the demands of the people. The reality is the people didn't really want an answer. They weren't really asking for the technicalities of why the concert was canceled. They were just looking for an outlet to share their outrage. Getting an answer was just a facade for rejecting what really was going on underneath the surface. They were mad that the concert wasn't happening. They didn't really want an answer. They wanted Ed Sheeran to know, we are not happy about this. I bring all that up to, to say that in Mark chapter eight today, we're actually gonna read of, of a similar account, something similar happening in the life of Jesus. There are some people demanding answers from Jesus, and we're going to see how he responds to that. So if you're new with us, we're tracking verse by verse through the biographical account of Jesus Christ's life called the Gospel of Mark. We've made it through almost now eight full chapters, just verse by verse. And today we find ourselves in Mark 8, starting in verse 11 and going to verse 13. Just three verses for our time together this morning. Here's Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. This is the word of the Lord. It says, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, verse 13, got into the boat again and went to the other side. If you're new to Hope Church, here's how we do this. We're just gonna walk verse by verse three, through, through those three verses and see what the Lord would teach us. And I believe he's gonna teach us three things about what's happening in the story, but also in our lives. Three things that we're gonna learn from this story. The first thing is the Pharisees reveal their hard hearts. Look at it in verse 11. The Pharisees revealing their hard hearts. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Since we're just now kind of jumping back into the Gospel of Mark after several weeks, I don't wanna take anything for granted. If you're new to Bible study, those first two words might be confusing for you. Who are the Pharisees? I don't wanna take anything for granted today that everyone in the room knows what a Pharisee is, but it's important because you see these guys pop up all over Jesus's life. So if you're new to Bible study, the Pharisees are the, the religious leaders of the Jewish faith. These are the most educated, the most influential, the most respected men of the day. These are the guys that some of you may know are the, are the top of their class. They have a bunch of letters at the end of their names because they just have degrees on degrees on degrees. They would have had large portions of the Old Testament completely memorized. They knew all the rules and they enforced all the rules. They were the most feared and the most respected of their day. Even the word Pharisee in and of itself is a word that means 
separated one. How pretentious is that? Who are you? Oh, I'm the separated one. I'm different than you. I'm all together in a separate class than you. And that's how they act as well. All throughout the Gospel of Mark so far, we've seen them questioning miracles. People actually having things healed in their lives. And the Pharisees are calling foul on it rather than excited about it. They're constantly lurking in the shadows, trying to trap Jesus and breaking their religious rules. And as we continue to see, they continue to try to do anything they can to get this revolutionary Jesus off the scene. And here they are again, our buddies, the Pharisees, show up again, coming to argue. You know anybody in your life that just loves to argue? If they're sitting next to you, don't even dare look at them, okay? That's not gonna be a good Sunday for you. People just in life just love to argue. This is just like, it's like, it, it's like it, it gets them excited. And I gotta be honest, I, I like a good debate. <laughs> I'm somebody that my family says likes to stir the pot. You know the old phrase, they say you shouldn't, at the dinner table, you shouldn't talk about two things, religion and politics. Guess what I like to talk about at the dinner table? Religion and politics. And I have, I have family on both sides of the political aisle, so here's what I'll do. It's all in good fun, it's all in a safe environment. But at a family gathering, I like to throw out something going on in politics and then just kind of step back and see what happens, right? <laughs> if you know me, you know that's really true. I, I do that. And it's fun. And it's all in a good, we love each other. It's a safe environment. That is not what is happening here. This is not all in good fun. This is the Pharisees coming to argue, not to, not to learn, not to discuss, to argue. This word argue in the original language, the original Greek language is in the present tense, meaning this was not a one-time argument. They were constantly hostile towards Jesus, as we've seen. This isn't a one-time instance. They are constantly arguing. What are they arguing? Look down at your Bible. Seeking from him a sign from heaven. And this time, for Jews, a sign from heaven was a confirmation that a prophet was authentically from God. They wanted proof that Jesus was who he says he is. Now, maybe you're thinking like I did the first time I read this passage. Wait a minute, Pharisees. We're seven chapters into this thing. Have you already not seen enough signs? I mean, you can go back. If you haven't been tracking in the Gospel of Mark with us, you can go back and listen to tons of messages where we're constantly just looking at this man doing incredible things, and they want more of a sign. I mean, what proof do you need? This is something we see all the time. They, they're not satisfied with what's already happened. They're saying, we want more. But let's just do a little quick review of the Gospel of Mark. It starts out with this incredible scene where Jesus is baptized. And in his baptism, God the Father speaks from heaven. God the Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. It's this epic scene, and it's like, you want a sign from heaven? What else do you want? Follow along the Gospel of Mark. There's people that are demon-possessed being free. There's people that are handicapped walking and, and being as if they were never handicapped. And there was people who are deaf who now can hear signs upon signs upon signs. And then just last week, Pastor Ricky taught, and a few weeks ago I taught, thousands upon thousands and thousands of people are fed miraculously from a few loaves of bread and some fish, all from this man's hand. Like, I want to reach into this text and say, Pharisees, what more do you want? What, what would convince you? Pharisees, here you are arguing another sign. What's really going on here is they were not looking for a sign. 
Just like the people outside Allegiant Stadium really weren't demanding answers to the real problem, they were just giving that as a facade to what was really going on. They were angry at what was happening. The Pharisees are angry at what Jesus is doing. So this is a, a facade. Them asking for just another sign is a facade to what's really going on under the surface. How do you know that? Because of what it says next. Look at your Bible. Seeking from him a sign to test him. This word test is a word that means to entrap through a process of inquiry. It's a badgering to try to trap. This word is used seven times in the New Testament. Check this out. Every time it's used, it's either in reference to the Pharisees or to the devil himself. This is not a friendly questioning. This is them trying to trap Jesus. What is happening here is they are revealing their hard hearts in this moment. Hard-heartedness. This is a, a theme we see all throughout Scripture. It's this idea of becoming calloused to spiritual things. They've lost their sensitivity. I'll try to explain it and illustrate it this way. When I was 13 years old, I began playing guitar, which means I've been playing guitar for 24 years, which means I should be a whole lot better at playing guitar than I currently am. But when I started playing guitar, I almost quit. Like many of you, if you play guitar, you probably almost quit. Why? Because when you first start playing guitar, those Strings just hurt your fingers so, so much. My boys are now learning to play guitar and they're like, dad, my fingers hurt. And I tell them, just push past the pain. God made your body with nerve endings in your fingers. And so when you press hard on the strings, those bronze strings hurt your fleshly fingers. But you have to push past the pain. Why? Because eventually you become calloused to those strings. You literally develop calluses on your fingertips to where now when you press on those strings, you are no longer feeling the pain that you should feel. This is a picture of callousness, of hard-heartedness. When I now pick up a guitar, I have no pain in my fingers because for 24 years, I have developed a hardness of fingers. This is what's happening in the Pharisees' lives. We've seen them already in the Gospel of Mark, pushing past pain of people, seeing people hurt and oppressed and in need, and they just walk right past them in their religious piety, becoming more selfish and self-righteous. The things they've seen Jesus do are not penetrating their hearts. Why? Because their hearts have become hard and callous to the point where all throughout the Gospel of Mark, we just see a hardening and a hardening to eventually eight chapters from now, these same men will yell at the top of their lungs, crucify him, kill this Man, what is this a picture of their hard hearts? I want to just pause for just a moment because I say over and over and over again, we never want to read the Bible just to gain some, some knowledge about some stories that have no relevance to our lives. Every week we're asking the question, how does this story bear weight on our lives? Let's let the word of God challenge us where we are. So what do we learn from this? Because it's really easy if you're anything like me to read this story and think how foolish these Pharisees are. I mean, can't you see what he's doing right in your midst? How dense do you have to be? And to that, I just want to remind myself and you of something we've already said numerous times throughout the Gospel of Mark that we just have to keep before us because it's so true. Here it is. We all have a little Pharisee in us. 
talked about it for five weeks in our Killjoy series. It's called Indwelling Sin. It doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus. You have to be very careful to realize you still got a little Pharisee in you. And so do I. So how does this play out? Just like these Pharisees, if I'm not careful, I can start to become calloused and hardened to things I ought not be calloused and hardened to. Like these Pharisees, I, I can be unsatisfied with what I've already seen God do. And just like them, I could start demanding more. Think about your own life. As I studied this week, I thought about my life. All the things I've seen God do, and yet still the little Pharisee in me says, yeah, that's great, but I want some more. Think about if you're here this morning, praise God, you made it to church with breath in your lungs. You woke up with what the Bible calls new mercy on your life. You got some, maybe some coffee or some food in your belly and grace is on your life today. Maybe you came here and you drove a car. Maybe you had a couple cars to choose from. It's grace. Maybe today you, you didn't have to think about what clothes you would wear because you had a bunch in the closet that you can use all throughout the week before you do laundry. Again, this is grace. Maybe he's redeemed your marriage or maybe he's just sustained your marriage. He didn't even have to redeem it because he just sustained it without any major pitfalls in your life. This is grace upon grace upon grace. Maybe he's given you financial favor and all your bills are always paid for and you don't really stress about it too much. Maybe you have health. Maybe God's given you a renewed sense of hope because he's healed some part of your life. Maybe you have kids that love the Lord or, or, or a family that you would just say, this is so good. God has been so good to us. Maybe he's miraculously showed up in that exact moment you need him to. All those things are true of my life. And yet the little Pharisee in me says, I want more. Show me another sign from heaven, Jesus. You see how we find ourselves in this story just like the Pharisees. It's almost like I wanted to reach in the text and yell at these Pharisees. I need to reach in my heart and say, what more do you want? I'll say it to you like this. If I find myself demanding more of God, maybe is an indicator that my heart is hardened to the grace and goodness of God that's already all over my life. That land on you, however the Lord wants to use it. Maybe if you find yourself demanding more of God, maybe it's an indicator that there's some hardness, some callousness starting to develop because you're ignoring all the grace and goodness that's already all over your life. The Pharisees right here reveal their hard hearts. Here's the second thing we see. The Lord is grieved over their hard hearts. That's what we see in verse 12. The Lord is grieved. Pick it up. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given this generation. The text says, in response to this, Jesus sighs deeply. It's a, it's a word in the original language that means to, to bring up breath from the, the, the bottom of the chest. It's this exasperated <sighs> We saw it when he was healing the the deaf man in Mark chapter 7, he so saw this man's helpless state that it literally moved him to this same. It's an exasperation, a heartbreak. He, it's almost like he can't believe what he's hearing these Pharisees still demand. He's come to his limit. Humanly speaking, he's exasperated. One commentator said he was sick and tired of this kind of response from hard-hearted religious people. It literally brings him to 
exasperation. The old preacher, J.C. Ryle, talked about this heartbreak when he said there was a deep meaning in that sigh. It came from a heart which mourned over the ruin that these wicked men were bringing on their own souls. Enemies as they were, Jesus could not see hardening themselves in unbelief without sorrow. It grieved the Lord what he was witnessing in his presence. And again, church, you have to just understand, it's still the same thoughts and feelings he has towards us when we are hardening our hearts to the things we ought not be hardened to. In this room, it's happening. In your life, it may be happening. There are things that are, you are hardening your heart to the things of God and you just have to know and let this text bear weight on your life that it, it grieves the Lord. You become calloused to what should sting. Maybe for you, there's, there's a sin in your life that has become so normal. You become so used to this that it doesn't even sting anymore. You don't even realize, like those fingers don't, those strings don't sting my fingers. That sin in your life no longer even makes any kind of emotion or thought come to your mind. And you just gotta know it grieves the Lord even though it might not grieve you anymore. Does your heart no longer break for what breaks God's heart? Why? Because your heart has just become hardened to the things Back to the text. Notice Jesus does not do what they want him to do. Jesus was not about to be the Pharisees' errand boy. I mean, if you think about it, this is an interesting scene. These mere men are demanding the king of kings and lord of lords. I want you to jump, Jesus. Jesus is not going to say, okay, how high? Jesus does not capitulate to what they want him to do. If you think about it, this is a, a funny scene. These mere men trying to demand the king of glory. And they're honestly used to this. They're used to saying things and immediately people doing exactly what they wanted. Because they are the boss, except when you're in the presence of the king of glory. And you're no longer the boss. And Jesus isn't having any of it. So he says very plainly, no sign will be given. Jesus says emphatically to your question, no. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And I'll just say, speaking of the tension, maybe some of you are thinking, well, come on, Jesus. Why not? I mean, this could have been a, a, an amazing ministry moment. I mean, think of all the people that were watching. You could have brought a whole bunch of people into the kingdom in this moment. I mean, what if you just like went along with what they wanted, did something crazy miraculous, and everyone's like, wow, this guy really is who he says he is. I'm gonna follow him all the days of my life. Like, Jesus, why didn't you just take advantage of this kingdom opportunity? Because Jesus knew even if he did, they still wouldn't follow. How do you know that? I'm gonna show you a scene from John chapter 12 where that exact thing happens. There's this epic scene in John 12. I'll show it to you, verse 28. Jesus, in a crowd of people, says to God the Father in heaven, Father, glorify your name. Check this out. Then a voice came from heaven. This is not a normal Tuesday afternoon, church. Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And without any smoke, smoke screens or loudspeakers, God speaks from heaven. I have glorified it. I don't know what that sounded like, but I imagine it sounded awesome. 
I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Listen to this. We've been in church so long, we kind of got used to stories like this. God audibly spoke from heaven, and everybody heard it. If you read the text, go back later, they start thinking, was that thunder? What was that? No, it was God speaking from heaven. Surely, what sign could you else could you want? Surely, you're going to follow him, right? Look at what happens a few verses later in John 12, 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Here's what I want us to see, church. Signs are not what they needed. A softer heart is what they needed. And some of us have become so hardened, begging God and demanding God for him to show up and do something. And even if he did, it still wouldn't change because you don't need signs. You need a softer heart. And right now, maybe even in this moment, the Holy Spirit of God is putting that on your heart and you don't need to run from that. You need to run to that and say, God, let me change by your power and by your presence. Change me. Soften my heart that's become hard. You don't need more signs. You need a softer heart. Or maybe like these religious leaders, the Pharisee in you would like Jesus to do your bidding. I mean, come on, he's the all-powerful king of glory. Like, I would actually kind of like, if I could just say it out loud, I could like Jesus to be my errand boy. But if we're not careful, we have to see the Pharisee in us is trying to do exactly what these Pharisees want him to do. That we, we try to start demanding of Jesus. In this moment, these Pharisees are treating Jesus like a genie in a bottle. If we're not careful, church, the Pharisee in us wants to start looking at Jesus like he's our genie in a bottle. Like he exists to meet our needs, or if we're being more accurate, he exists to meet our wants. We live in a day and age, even within Christianity, where this teaching is pretty prevalent. This picture of Jesus, that he's at your beck and call. Whatever you need, whatever you want, call out to him, and he'll do exactly what it is that you need. And when he doesn't, because he's not our errand boy, we start to get angry and start to doubt and some of us bail altogether. I guess this Jesus isn't who all the preachers said he was. Well, maybe the preachers said he was somebody different than he is in the word of God. He doesn't exist for us and this is good to remind ourselves of, church. He doesn't exist for us, we exist for him. He doesn't exist to, to meet our demands, we are to meet his demands, he's the boss. He is not our errand boy. He never was and he never will be. I'll say it to you this way. Jesus will not become everything you want because he already is everything you need. So some of us today just need to get rid of some of the ways we've expected Jesus to be something for us he never promised to be. But what he always will be is the sovereign savior king. The Pharisees got their role backwards here. He's the one in charge. You don't demand of him. He demands of you. He's the boss. He's the sovereign savior king. And I just needed to hear this in my life over the last couple weeks. And I'm so grateful that just what you need as you spend time with the Lord, he meets you there. And I know a couple weeks ago, Pastor Trenton mentioned a devotional that I, I read daily. It's one of my favorite devotionals I've ever read. It's by a man named Paul David Tripp. It's called New Morning Mercies. And over the course of a few mornings, God was just dealing with this very thing in my life. So I want to share a lengthy but powerful quote from Paul Tripp. Speaking of this idea of us wanting Jesus to be something he never promised to be. Look at what this quote says. He says, what kind of Jesus do you want? Do you want the 
Prozac Jesus who will only make you feel good, he will only be your sovereign savior king. Do you want the suggestion box Jesus whose law is more advice than command? He will be nothing less than your sovereign savior king. Do you want the district attorney Jesus who will get all those people that make your life hard? He will only be your sovereign savior king. Perhaps you long for the match.com Jesus. Some of you said amen. Who will give you someone to love. He will be what you need. Your sovereign savior king. Maybe you want the Neiman Marcus Jesus who will deliver all your golden dreams. He will be nothing less than your sovereign savior king. When in our hard heartedness we start to treat Jesus like someone he was never meant to be and never will be. It grieves our, our Lord's heart. Third thing we see in this story. The Lord rejects them because of their hard hearts. He rejects them. Look at verse 13, very simply. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. This is a tragic story, end to this story. Jesus not only rejects their demands, but he rejects them. This word left in the original language is, is a word that denotes more than just a physical leaving, a physical going away. Jesus here is drawing a line in the sand. As if to say, I'm done with you Pharisees and your hard hearts. One commentator said he abandoned them to their own self-righteous delusions. And this is a marker in the gospel of Mark. He, he abandons them. I'm done with the Pharisees. And this is, this is some hard stuff. This is kind of deep end of the pool stuff when it comes to the kingdom of God. But we see this not only in scripture, but we have experienced this even in our world. There is a point, and hear my heart on this, this grieves me to say, and I don't fully understand it, but we read in the scriptures, there is a point when we so harden our hearts to the things of God that he gives us exactly what we want, and he turns us over to our sin. Bible talks about God's patience and praise God for his patience, amen. Praise God that he is so patient, so generous. I think of all the ways he's been long suffering towards me, he's so patient. And that's so good to remember, but hear me church, the Bible talks about God's patience over and over and over again, but it never says that God's patience is infinite. There are moments, there is a time when people so hard in their hearts, so mock, so put away, say, so say, this is a joke, so say, I want nothing to do with this, that God gives us exactly what we want. It happened in Romans chapter one. Let's put some Bible on this for you to see this happens in the word of God. Romans chapter one, look at it. Yes, they knew God. When you hear that, don't think they were Christians. They knew about God. They knew about God things like many people in our world. Yet they wouldn't worship him as God or even give thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. What's happening here? Hardening upon hardening upon hardening. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. What a line. Heartbreaking. God abandoned them. Some of you are thinking, okay, my gosh, when does this, 
When does this happen? We don't know. Listen, no man can explain exactly what this looks like, but we see it in scripture. There is a point where God will give you exactly what you want. The Bible says abandoning you. Now, let me get some theological clarification here for those of you that may be thinking, oh my gosh, how do I know if this is happening in my life? This is very, very important. It's why we are so passionate about bringing people into the kingdom of God. It's why every single week we stand on the stage and proclaim the fact that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sin, rose again to win you back to the relationship you were created for in him. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, hear me clearly, God will never abandon you because God has already redeemed you. You cannot be abandoned by a God who has already redeemed you. You cannot be turned over to your sin when he's already paid for your sin. That's why the good news is so good. That's why as a follower of Jesus, yes, you need to evaluate how your heart might become hardened to the things of God, but in, in, in totality, your salvation is secure. How do you know that? Because Ephesians chapter one says he placed the Holy Spirit of God in you as a promised seal of your redemption. You may struggle, yes. You may have bad days, bad weeks, bad months, bad decades, but the Holy Spirit of God lives in you as a sign of your redemption. You will never be abandoned by God because you have already been redeemed by God. And we need to rest in that, church. So how do you know if you're a follower of Jesus? The Bible actually tells us. It tells us to test ourselves. See, right here, the Pharisees and the little Pharisee and me wants to test Jesus. We're never told to test Jesus, but we are told to test ourselves. Look at it in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 as we round third. Very clearly, Paul to the church in Corinth says this, examine yourselves. Why? To see whether you are in the faith. There it is. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize that, do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? unless you indeed fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. See Paul's pastoral heart, test yourselves. I hope, you're, I hope you don't fail to meet the test. And that's, that's my pastoral heart, that all of us would, would test ourselves, examine ourselves to see if we're really a follower of Jesus or we just playing some religious game. So how do you do that? How do you test yourself? I believe you get examination by evaluation. Maybe just allow the Lord even right now as I just list off some of these things that we find in scripture that are true as a fruit of the spirit of God in you. Have you repented of your sin and trusted in him alone for salvation? Nothing that you've done, all of him, salvation is all of God. Have you, have you repented and trusted him for salvation? Is there humility in your life before a holy God? You understand his place and you understand your place and you've humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God. Do you desire righteousness in your life? Is there a true desire to do what's right by God and righteousness is something that fuels you? Do you wanna be a person of righteousness? Do you live a life of obedience to God and his word? Do you have genuine affection and love in your heart for Jesus? What are these? These are all markers of the Holy Spirit of God in you. It's the old hymn writer of the song Amazing Grace, John Newton said, if you have those things, it was not so once with you. So something happened. Either somehow you stole it from somebody or the spirit of God who's in you gave that to you. So if those are in you, praise God. Yes, you have to evaluate why, where you're becoming hard of heart, but 
Church, I love you too much to tell you, if you go through that list and none of those things are true, the response for you today is come to Christ. None of those things are true for you. You doesn't matter how many times you go to church, doesn't matter how many Bible verses you know, how many camps you've been to, how many retreats you go to. If none of those things are markers of the Holy Spirit living in you, today the invitation is come accept the free invitation he's given you by his grace for salvation and for a relationship with Jesus. That's not, these are markers of the Spirit of God in us. So maybe today you've realized I need to, do some business with God. I don't have any of that in my life. Come to the well that is overflowing and he'll give it to you. Because if you're here today and you're nervous that maybe you've gone too far for God's grace, that right there is a sign that you have not. If there's anything in you that goes, man, I, I desire to be right with God, come to him. He's done everything necessary to make that happen. But for followers of Jesus, how is God showing you that there's just some hardness in your heart that you've developed? That's important for us to go to understand that because what we learned today, we call it the sermon in a sentence. A hard heart towards Jesus and his activity in my life can lead to an absence of his presence and power in my life. This is way more than a story of some Pharisees a couple thousand years ago. I hope you've learned that. I hope you've felt that. And as I close, I'll read a quote by R.C. Sproul. He said, we must guard ourselves against reading a story like this and simply say to ourselves, oh, those bad Pharisees. When we do that, we are just like them. Rather, we should go to God in prayer and say, oh God, do not let me grieve you because my heart is hardened. Instead, tell me what you want from me. Give me ears to hear and a heart open to embrace everything that you say. That's what I want us to do as we respond today. I want us to, to have a heart open to embrace whatever it is that God might be moving in you right now. So I'm gonna ask everyone to bow their heads for just a moment as we prepare to sing a song about God's incredible grace. Reality is in this story, there's two groups of people. There are the Pharisees on the shore and the disciples in the boat. The Pharisees on the shore had a hard heart towards Jesus. The disciples in the boat had a heart that was near to Jesus. Which, which group of people do you find yourself in today? What I love about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is no matter what group you're in, the gospel is good news for you. Because if you're the Pharisees on the on the shore right now and God's kingdom activity is getting further and further away as you are hardening more and more and more. If there's anything in you that would not want that to happen, the good news of Jesus Christ is for you today. You can come to him. You don't have to do anything except say yes to what's already been done for you. Just a moment, we're gonna have pastors up here. Maybe you wanna talk to somebody about what it looks like to follow Jesus. We would love to have a conversation with you. Maybe you're the disciples in the boat. Your heart is close to Jesus. You're in a relationship with Jesus, but you gotta understand your tendency and my tendency is to constantly be getting out of the boat, following our hard hearts and going out to the shore where the hard heart people are. That's a tendency in us. Where right now is God putting his finger of grace on your life to say, this is an area I wanna deal with. You become calloused. Something that should sting is no longer stinging. Maybe God would just have this moment be a time as you sing about his incredible grace of him 
helping you to soften that heart by his power and presence. However you want to respond, however God is leading us to respond, as we stand and sing this incredibly powerful song about the grace of God that covers all of our sin. There is no sin, there is no struggle, there is no hurt that the cross of Jesus Christ can't cover. No matter who you are today, would you press into that, believe that with your whole being and worship the God who is worthy of that. So Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that when we ask you to move, you do. Would we all respond in obedience by your grace. In Jesus' name.